Um, well, boys, let's let's get fucking rowdy because I realized there's something I forgot to bring up to Rome, and I was excited to. Oh, hot! Yeah, I wanted hot, to. Also, yeah. I also wanted to say on the last one yesterday's. Um, I just wanted to start by saying, "Fuck Welcome to Batman in Quarantine, episode 12, the one we talk about Batman 669. I am always am Jeff, and I am joined by my two co-hosts whose uh, actual visual video feeds have swapped from yesterday's episode, so I'm uh, I'm getting used to looking at uh, these two in different spots. I'm the nightmare. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, right. I guess that makes me Gulligan. I love it. Yeah, they also, this particular character really is flashing me back to watching The Lighthouse with you guys. And oh, yeah. it's, it's uncomfortable. Don't hurt the goals. <laughs> That's why the whole, the whole thing is kind of just Roman and his relationship to like lighthouses and lighthouses being these kind of oceanic phalluses and gooey ducks and roman is the sea and yet the dick at the same time he's both and and the 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 man in seek of the respite of the fortress of solitude that a phallic lighthouse can can provide are <laughs> 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 the spiggish long and the sling dong dang by sling and the hands of drink let's dance or i hate you <laughs> Gosh, it's gross. It's like the lighthouse all over again. Man, if there was a version of that movie which is just Roman and Justin instead at a lighthouse, that would be so fucking good. There would be even more shit and cum if it was just I was, Roman. I was gonna say, like the amount of uh finding peace you would have to do with the amount of masturbation that Roman would be doing would be yeah. very reminiscent of the scene, which means yes, absolutely. Batman six sixty nine was released September twenty sixth. 2007 a cool four weeks after 668 which had actually been a cool three weeks after 667 so while there was a period where it was about six weeks between issues at this point we've been getting a pretty solid month between issues at point at, at now which i think is very cool considering we're picking up the salsa picking up the yeah. salsa putting it in the dish and dipping those cool cool chips inside picking up the pace this one's still oh, Grant Morrison. Oh, oh, oh. oh, the pace salt that God, you are clearly the writer here. <laughs> um, this one is the final chapter of the Black Glove storyline that we have been covering this week. This is also the final episode of this week, which is incredibly fortuitous considering what we've got planned out for next week, um, which we'll talk a little bit about in a second. But one thing I wanted to mention yesterday, but forgot to, Roman, mm. is that uh cyril who is now knight had a bomb planted inside of him which is exactly how his father had died had a bomb planted inside of him by his nemesis spring-heeled jack Ooh. oh okay. which i remember you reading the i think alan moore written spring-heeled jack comic book about that character yeah there was some graphic no it wasn't written by alan moore but he did okay. the introduction oh, it's, okay. an old, it's an old english legend and I remember probably two or three weeks into me working at the store, you brought it back 
and you're like, yeah, I finished this. I've had it at the house for like five or six years. And I was like, you've just had one of the books from the store at your house. Can we do that? And then I realized that at a comic shop, you can. <laughs> to your own personal library, right? There yeah. Fingertips. Yeah. Do um, oh, yeah. you want to give us any history on Spring Hill Jack? It was it was a legend. He was a, a a murderer, a spooky murderer that seemed to be. People wondered if he was some kind of demon or something because they call him Spring Hill Jack because apparently he could jump over fences and like on the the roofs of small bil- buildings and <laughs> leap around London or different parts of England. <laughs> Good lord! Was that yeah. you, Roman? <laughs> <laughs> before he before he no. became the ancient marinara <laughs> yeah. no it wasn't me i have to fly <laughs> <laughs> any squaws the out there Love hey him. listen you guys when reading this i had this deep empathetic connection with both jeff and roman and then again myself with night <laughs> at uh Panel five of six on the first page. Mm-hmm. If you take away the text bubbles, isn't that just kind of like what it's like to eat too many tater tots from the horseshoe? <laughs> oh, like, like he's holding his stomach, he's bleeding from the mouth, he's like, and then you got one of your comic shop buddies being like, it's going to be okay. Man of like, bats is holding you gently, setting yeah. you down while you're just like, oh, there's too many tots. Yeah, we'll, that's like we'll Jeff telling me, just like, it's going to be a long night of farts, but you'll be okay in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, and then the the subsequent panel, panel number six, is that that awareness of Justin. Like you're right, I will get through it, but it'll be teeth gritted and bowels bared. Yep, this too shall pass. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. So in in this, oh god, another delayed response from Jeff. Fucking good. Um, so in this one, you know, we we solve the mystery of the black glove. Well not the grand mystery of it, but at least the murder on uh, Island Mayhew. But, you know, let's get there when we get there. You guys, we start with another flashback sequence. I did uh, reach out to Django, who's been on the podcast, and uh, asked about the halftone dots, like coloring. Like, I really like the coloring effect that they're using for these um, flashbacks because it looks like comics printed at that time. And like I said, this is the first time I had ever seen a book done like this, which like Ed Piscor does in X-Men Grand Design or Hip Hop Family Tree or has happened in Deadpool. Um, But he said, yeah, they're they're halftone dots, but they've really gotten smaller over the years. And shitty paper and low tech gave us this this classic halftone look. Um, They're still there today in comics, but they're printed like microscopically. So you really can't see that. Um, So... Uh, so it's you know true what to the, this? what's that uh smoking mescaline and watching super friends like yeah. we've done in the past jeff yeah this absolutely. is what that looks like <laughs> too many days of you and i in a essentially a k-hole on the couch you know yeah. and everything look like this um we've t- discussed halftone dots all over in the podcast but uh for this particular thing it's a great use of trying to uh, make the art look true to a flashback sequence it nails it so so well like i said previously like i really didn't know if these were actually reprinted pages from the 50s in fact i wouldn't be surprised if at any day of my life roman was like oh no those are the pages from the 1950s <laughs> um but as far as i'm concerned i'm pretty certain they're not yeah i don't i don't think so they're too 
they're too coherent. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And there is like the Cyril as a child um, breaks the tw- nine or the six panel grid and dives across things. And I would assume uh, in the 50s that hadn't quite happened yet. No, no you they, needed weren't, a they weren't doing that kind of thing. Yeah, you needed a, a Jack Kirby RIP for that one. Oh, RIP is not here yet. That's the next arc. Well, this is two arc for now. Um, we do get a little bit of insight into like Knight is blaming um, Mayhew for a murder. And he ultimately kind of breaks up the whole crew here and fires his assistant. And this seems to be the final meeting that they had 12 years ago. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's the continuation of that, of that scene. See how, see how they ended. Mayhew like took off. I do like these sequences of Man of Bats, uh, you know, trying to help Knight pass this bomb that's inside of him, but they realize it's probably got barbs on it. And I love any coronavirus in there. Yeah, exactly. And I I really just sort of like the discussion between the two of them, but even like the the panel there when Man of Bats decides that he's going to take a knife and just heat it up in a candle and cut into Knight. Um, I loved that, but on that panel or that that page rather, which is page th- four, um, the the like the Native American iconography behind that panel where he decides to, like where he's going to do the the incision. There's just this gorgeous like feathers and patterning behind it that is like you know reminiscent of of the Man of Bats. But at the top of that, it's got sort of like a a British shield behind Knight. Like just the way that he is so fluidly integrating bits of these different characters proposed histories behind the paneling so gorgeous the shot of man of bats with the there's two shots on this on both these pages i wanted to bring attention to but just the shot of him holding the fiery hot knife next to the candle is such a cool use of lighting and shot and it seems like he's standing almost like by a bonfire or something like or a campfire like it, it that is such a cool iconic character distilling shot there well it really it really um kind of a it to me it, it portrays that character with such high respect that it seems like that could be any panel of batman from the last like 10 years or, or so it really shows right. how this character is a batman from a different culture or a different place and like the For way sure. that he exists within lights like that's a great point like it really is interesting incredible incredible shot and use of lighting yeah and it's just one of many panels on this page that you know it for the story it's just a text piece but like it just that's how like great of an artist it is like one of his throwaway panels can be this like single distilled piece of art that's awesome yeah yeah and his uh the words he's saying there the lead in the next panel how he's saying that heroes only a little only a little kid would think we were heroes that was a nice nod to all of these characters' origins as being like little kid versions of the fifties that would only appeal to little kids in the fifties. <laughs> like, yeah. That's, that's a good, good point. That's well, awesome. I also, yeah. I mean, you know, to unpack that a little bit more, like it really, you know, night, he's saying that tonight who was a little kid when he met the, oh. you know, the, the club of heroes, but it also speaks to the sort of fallibility of even thinking a superhero could exist. Do you remember being a child and being like, I want to be a crime fighter growing up. And then when you get like to 11 or 12, you're like, wait, I'm never going to be able to like jump across buildings or like, I'm not really athletic. I can't do any of this. Like I don't even think this profession maybe exists. I know. I was really convinced that like, 
superheroes were real they just didn't get coverage you know like pe- people knew they were like mythical animals like they yeah. they were out there and we knew but no one wanted to acknowledge them they just needed a brand new pair of wolverine velcro shoes to be able to run fast enough <laughs> to catch him yeah um this next shot or this next page not only is the top panel awesome of musketeer man running and you see the shadow in his cape against the the red lit and there's kind of an angle and you can see the reflection of the floor that's just a beautiful technical shot yeah and then for some reason i really like the bottom panel where they're fighting it almost looks like doc shaner or something like oh that's a that's a perfect comparison like it's a kind of a boomerang-esque era 60s i don't know just that's a cool action shot of them kind of engaging in battle i i don't know that's it's a good way to convey a fight and a sword fight with like a very with very limited room as well because you want this big shot of him and his sword saying uh you know engaging in the fight but the rest of it is conveyed really well Um, yeah actually that page and the following page now that you brought it up like are both there are two pages that just need to convey a simple thing um you know the the fencing the fencing man who i'm sorry i'm forgetting his name but just ultimately he needs to run to a place to maybe attack man of bats and then he's going to pull out a but it's so while it's a simplistic thing that needs to happen over two pages jh williams the third goes so far outside of the nine panel grid while still not doing the crazy iconic images embedded into the paneling. Like it's just incredibly succinct, interesting storytelling. Like I I love on the following page, we get a picture of man of bats with his fist coming at the camera. Mm -hmm. And then it just cuts to a shot of uh, the musketeer having already been hit falling down. It's a great instance of not showing the moment of action, but really like, putting on display that uh williams can can do all of this stuff in such a way that is more unique than just boring you know from here to there i think it's particularly on display at the bottom of that page where we get man of bats grabbing into night to grab the bomb out and like that panel is a panel within the larger panel and it's got Mm -hmm. a different color spectrum or at the very bottom when he pulls the bomb out there's the panel of him showing the bomb and then it in a very strange way to comic books, then sort of like blows that square up and shows that same thing larger, but like just different, different ways of displaying this information. Yeah. yeah. I, I love that too. Cause yeah, when it, that very last panel, it's all black and white and except for the, the red of the bomb being activated. Yeah. So did that, did they get blowed up? Yeah, I was just going to say, yep. so wait, did that bomb just blow them up? Yep. I think they got real blowed up, but... Wow. They got blowed up. I thought we... Hmm. That's the one, the one sort of confusing bit is the following page there. There is an explosion, so it makes so much sense that that bomb went off. But I really can't make out much of the visual information from within that explosion. No. Like, no, there? I can't either. There's an explosion and a picture flying off the wall and that's all i can tell right and there's maybe i thought that man of bats i didn't know that he died i don't know that they die here i think that they just maybe if if that is an explosion i think they just get blowed up and because knight and squire do come back man of bats i'm pretty sure is in that batman incorporated issue later on so yeah i think they all survive somehow but i guess yeah it's it's one of those heroes 
you can survive a simple being blowed up. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and, and it's another one of those classic, like Agatha Christie type locked room or not locked room murders, but mystery things where, yeah, apparently, Oh no, they just got killed. And you don't really see that. You just have the explosion. And then, uh, El Gaucho, who was on the communicator with, with Musketeer going, Musketeer, he's gone. Something's wrong. <laughs> and Musketeer and, is his and, name. Okay. Yeah. And you have to assume that, Oh geez, are they dead? Maybe. Okay. Mariner slipped in and threw a fish through a window, and they all jumped out in the last minute. Yeah, yeah. and to speak, grab the flounder; it'll carry you to safety. <laughs> the, well, I was going to say that to speak to the professionalism of the the night mariner is he throws the fish in, and then the fish becomes cooked in the explosion, and then everyone gets to eat afterwards. Yeah. As well. <laughs> a lot well, of the night mariner's adventures are summarized by all of them eating cooked fish at the end and laughing. That's the last panel of every page. Love <laughs> <laughs> well, the fun. Well, a fine feast, heroes. <laughs> Bell, um, belly up to the table. <laughs> I really like oh, him. Speaking to all of that on the, the subsequent page is this, you know, couldn't be more J.H. Williams the third page of like a double page spread with panels within panels kind of explaining things visually in an un, unusual way but um the shot of on the far left is batman and within his cape it says the dark knight must die exclamation mark and like to that agatha christie 1960s pulp feel of that has been you know a part of this particular three issue arc of this like the dark knight must die exclamation mark and all those sort of referencing old comic book titles and pages and way information was put out a long time ago with which Batman sort of evolved through. So it's, I love that throwback. I really yeah. love that. I love that way of doing that. And the exclamation point has a, the dot underneath of the exclamation point. It's a little skull. And I just real awesome little flourish there. Yeah. yeah. And I just realized, I mean, this is like the third or fourth time I've read this comic over the years. I just realized the painting behind Batman, I think that's a Hieronymus Bosch. Oh, okay. One of, one of his, you know, landscapes of madness. Okay, yeah, yeah. Justin had brought up because I think that's the painting that was behind Mayhew in oh. that original two issues ago. And yeah, Justin was saying like an apocalyptic vision or like one of the it, like a, a siege or something. It does look like a more an even surprisingly an even more fucked up version of uh, the Garden of Earthly Delights. So I bet you it is Bosch because oh. um, he get fucked up. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a- after this, we didn't mention that in the previous issue, um, Squire and Robin through ex- exploring do get captured and we didn't get really closure on what happens there. But in this issue, we do see that they are tied up and they have been tied up by El Sombrero, who is one of El Gaucho's villains, who is, I, I love his character because he's talking about <laughs> like, you know, where I come from, like the Yankees of death, like everyone's just like killing people. There's no art to it anymore. Like, why don't you, you know, create these elaborate death traps? There's no honor within villains anymore. So he's created this death trap where Red Raven is hanging upside down above a bunch of piranhas and Robin and Squire are both supporting his weight through like weight, <laughs> weightlifting materials. Uh, so they're responsible for whether he lives or dies. And it's just like your classic 70s. DC I was going to say that. <laughs> Yeah, it's again with the 60s, 70s weird thing. He fucks with nostalgia on a lot of le- layers here, and it's cool. Um, and I love that the heroes involved, their logos are at the top of the page. Like yeah. we have Red, Red Raven, Knight and Squire, and Robin's little hero logos up there. That's just like a, a nice touch. It's, it's real cool. 
And I have to imagine that that was, I, I can't imagine that was a thing that Grant put in there, you know, like that seems to me like an artistic flourish, just like you said. Yeah. yeah. And I like the, diff- this is like such a subtle thing, but just a yellow gutters, like a different color gutter. Yeah. You're you don't right. see that. You don't see that in pan. You see black or white typically, but yeah. Yeah. And alternate I, colored gutters between panels is a really cool thing. You're right. Yeah, yeah. it is. It's, it's really great. I love this next sequence, which is just Batman being fucking Batman. So when Robin got kidnapped, the R on his logo was torn off and Batman finds it. And he is de- descending you know, down to the, the base of this cave. And he is approached from behind by Dark Ranger, who's the Australian guy with the jetpack. And, uh, and he just Batman's out. He's like, Oh, night Ranger or dark Ranger. Good thing you're back. Um, I saw you, we all know dark Ranger is left-handed and it was good of you to make sure with your, shoot your gun with your left hand, but check this out. And he throws Robin's logo to him and night Ranger catches it with his right hand. And in doing so, Batman is able to discern that that is not in fact night Ranger and that the wingman has been murdered. That was actually a disguise. And, Night Ranger was the one who was murdered, and Wingman switched the costumes and has been parading as Dark Ranger since then. Whew, Batman, mm-hmm. I love that too. That's that's Sneaky. so cla- that's so classic. Plus, kind of silly too, because would you catch a piece of cloth somebody threw it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. Why? Like, what did he, like, why didn't he catch it? Yeah, yeah. Why do you catch it? But it's classic. <laughs> it is. It is. It's very like 1960s. Like I'm gonna expose you, criminal. And um, then uh, he yeah, says, "Yeah, some mastermind screws up by doing something dumb like that." <laughs> but your natural reflex is still to catch with your right, isn't it, Wingman? Cut to other panel of Al Gaucho, Wingman. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, but, but before it cuts, before it cuts to Gaucho, I love that that panel where Batman gets to his final revelation there, as he says, "Wingman." The panel is black and white again. Yeah, <laughs> so cool. Yeah, I wonder what the significance. You know, like if there's a, a thematic use to the color right there. Just, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure unless it's just a like a little visual driving home of the point that you know how good Batman is. He boils it down to this one simple little detail that reveals so much. I was thinking, yeah, his binary way of viewing things is sort of black and white. You know, yeah. like it's either true or not true. And at the bottom, you know, he says, "Never be scared to fight dirty," and it's also in that black and white. I love on this same page, right before he says, never be scared to fight dirty. There's a small panel above it and it's him getting into his belt and grabbing out, you know, just like a little wire thing. I've always loved when artists choose to show how the belt like stores things. Cause like it's iconic. He has this yellow belt, but like how does everything fit in there? You know, and it's just this mystery. And I, I love him showing like how these things clip around and what it is. Well, there's a, because they used to show that, like, in when I was a kid, they were, it was really popular in comics to show, like, a cutaway panel of, like, the Baxter building, and here's Ben's room. and But they used to do that, the utility belt all the time, where they'd mm. have cutaways of, oh, here's, here's, here's how this folds up, and it's all in there. And here's where the shark repellent is. And yeah. Here's the, yeah. There's these, gonna... like, kids' books that are, like, Batman encyclopedias where you get a page for each character. And they, there's like a new edition every couple. It's like, is it DK Publishing that does a lot of like yeah. picture books? Yeah. Yeah. They do a Batman one that like, I used to get them every couple of years. They always do a new one. And there's always someone's rendition of how you fit everything into the bat, the 
utility belt. We had uh, somebody at the comic shop sell us a bunch of comics at one point, but within those boxes, there was um, a bunch of uh, those DK books. So I have a big DK Batman. I have a big DK like Spider-Man and I have oh, like a big DK just Justice League one that are just like dated used ones from a, but like, I agree. I have a deep love and reverence for those types of books, you know? They're so cool. In fact, I think what, you know, sort of helped me, because comics I was super into as a little kid and then you know the culture of America clusterfucks you into thinking you need to like other things but uh one thing I had a, a DK Spider-Man book and I remember in junior high you still just go through that and be like what are all of these stories that I've never read and you know here we are yeah I had a, a Spider-Man one and a Batman one at different times. And Josh and I, through our friendship, would trade those books back and forth. Like, we would always, like, if I, didn't, cool. if I didn't have the Spider-Man one, I had his Batman one and vice versa. I don't know whatever happened to him. He may, he's like a pack rat. He may still have both now. It would be really cool to get Josh on an episode of this with you and I at some point as we I, move further in the run. Yeah, I think that would be, I think he would love that because this run, you know, he was, he was part of it for the whole, <clears throat> for the whole run and was, was in on it. You should you should poke him about that. Uh, I really liked um, when Batman sort of further explains J- Roman is holding up the exact same <laughs> Spider-Man book that I was just referencing, which is the yeah, Spider-Man that's the book. one I had. Yeah, me too. And it's <laughs> so good. I remember just like so learning good. the histories of Green this, Goblins and Venoms and everything. This is so awesome. And you know what's funny? Many many years ago, when 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 Little Gulligan was in was in <laughs> college, and Steve. Friend of the show, Steve Myers, gave this to me for my birthday. Awesome. <laughs> like, like my 21st birthday or something. <laughs> Dude, they're, they're always great books. Like, there's always enough information in there that you, you know. You they update them, too. Yeah. The yeah. Batman one now probably has uh, the Batman who laughs in it, which is a weird oh. thing to think about. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, I liked further having Batman explain the, the mystery of how he knew to be suspicious of Wingman. And it started with, like, when they were surveying the grounds originally, like, they all had to fly through a storm to get there. And this is that classic, like maybe Agatha Christie-esque writing where like it was planted the whole way, like they flew through this storm. And there is a scene of them walking by the ships before they blow up. And he mentions that Wingman storm didn't have water residue on it, meaning he didn't fly through the storm to get there. Like the rest of them, he was there beforehand, probably setting all this up. Batman, I love I love Batman's detective skills and it's not always on display. Right. A lot of people don't write that in there. We get like, you know, at the end of an arc, someone writes a a big one page panel scene of like, here's X, Y, and Z that I put together through this arc, but we never saw it in real time happen. Right. Batman makes observations that you couldn't have, but that was planted there and Batman made that observation right away. And had we been looking more carefully, it's probably, you know, we would have, observed that as well so i think that's like good mystery writing and it's good detective writing and we're always told to take this like idea that batman's the world's greatest detective at face value they really show it show it in real time they'll tell you it like oh batman's a good detective he figures things out but it's cool to have that that moment come back into play we get a, like a, a just a several page fight sequence here, which is, which is great to get because again, this is an action comic, and I think there are people who want to see fight scenes, and I'm I can go either way on that. But you know, we get about four pages of Batman ultimately fighting Wingman in Dark Ranger's costume, and it, it climaxes with you know Batman, um, well Night Ranger 
slash wingman trying to shoot him. So there's some guns brought in, which is always an interesting thing when it's in a Batman comic. But ultimately, Batman and Gaucho take him down and uh, bust the helmet off of him. And yeah, the whole dynamic shifts quite a bit. I feel like when that guy's face is exposed, it's just weird to have, you know, the mask taken off and then to be this guy's beaten and bruised and his nose is broken and Batman's fighting him and trying to talk about morals and what the black glove is. And a lot, there's, you know, a lot of good dialogue there as well. There is, there is kind of jarring seeing this blonde British guy revealed there. Cause it kind of takes, okay. So that part, that part of the mystery is over. Right. But I like it's the fact that we do cut briefly back to uh, red Raven about to be dumped in the piranha cage. And then to add to the death trap, a bunch of Elson Bravo releases a bunch of wasps with a start swarming around. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. And and you know Cyril says, "How did he know I hate wasps?" <laughs> you know, which is yeah, never never one to be too self serious. But again, even in these fight sequences, like Batman is drawn in this gorgeous, hyper realistic watercolor way, and the you know he's fighting somebody who's drawn in a sort of flat colored, just like it's no coincidence, right? No one would be like, all right, well now I'm going to draw night ranger in this flat. Like it's, you know, the, the idea of these dueling styles or dueling histories or characters or what they represent is just incredible art in this book. Yeah, it is. The sequences are so, so amazing. This uh, villain, once his like blonde bloody face shows and he looks so angry and bitter and, you know, like he truly believes that Batman's the cause of all of his problems. Like his life would have just been, you know, he's not responsible for any of his undoing. It's all Batman. He looks like a classic Bond villain. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does. <laughs> uh, what's a cool reveal here is that Man of Bats shows up and releases Cyril and Robin, and he takes both of the weightlifting thing and pulls the them so that the case that feet, you know, with free Red Raven, he's supporting the weight, and uh, Cyril shoots it with a with a slingshot and it busts the piranha cage open, which is you know so classic. Yeah, and that was so well done. I've been, and I've been trying to remember um, because Knight and Robin are—they're both tied into it's a—I think it's a—it's sh- a shoulder press, so their arms are above them and they're holding the weight that's keeping right. Raven from falling. And then and then and how str- and it makes it makes you realize again another little thing about Man of Bats—he must be really freaking strong and great yeah. shape because he supports yeah. like the weight of his his a pretty much almost adult partner there just by grabbing these two bars and that's a really awkward position and he's just like do it go and he's also a doctor we know (laughs) oh yeah yeah (laughs) he's got dank shoulders for sure so okay so as we've sort of apprehended or have beaten up um wingman and he's kind of in his monologuing phase and his face is all (laughs) bloodied up um batman mentions john mayhew's fifth wife was having an affair with her co-star the actor mangrove pierce does he come back up later? Mangrove Pierce is a name that stands out in my mind. Who is that? I have no idea, but the name sounded familiar, and there's a mangrove crab in, that, in one of the panels here, which is weird. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I think it comes back up, or he's a suspicious person. Um, but yeah, so you know, Batman's been kind of wise to a lot of this stuff, you know, but I like the explanation that Wingman's saying that like you, Batman, are the one that turned me into a villain. And... Uh, yeah, what we learn here is that El Sombrero actually, in disguise this whole time, is John Mayhew. And that mm-hmm. classic, like, serial killer way, right? Like, they do secretly want recognition in some way. Like, he couldn't not be here for this. He had to see the heroes working through all of this. 
Right. So it's not actually El Sombrero and it is John Mayhew. So we don't know who was wearing the flesh mask of Mayhew's face in issue one of this arc. But uh, Batman goes up into the uh, escape plane that um, El Sombrero slash Mayhew is trying to use to get out of there. Yeah, that guy's like, I'm out of here. I don't want to be trapped in this plane with Batman. And Batman's like, I'll take the plane. And he goes back to the island and ultimately... Um, they know that there's bombs there, so Batman loads everybody into the the prop plane, and they fly fly off the one that he just gotten from Mayhew. But then there's a very spooky overall narrative that is uh, saying that Good won the day because there's been this framing device of like you know who's gonna win, Good versus Evil, the Black Glove. Place your bets. Uh, mm-hmm. The Black Glove decides to kill Mayhew on that island as the good guys escape, and it's a little bit of an abrupt ending, but. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it ends with one of those, and again, one of those watercolor painted like I love that shot, spooky yeah. yet yeah, also island island mystery shot. <laughs> Quickly, the thing that occurred to me is like, Mayu was dead, but then he's not, mm-hmm. but then he's killed. Mangrove Pierce is another actory guy who had an affair, so we have actors playing roles that kind of shed skins and we we have a guy wearing the skin of another guy's face yeah given who dr hurt claims he you know when this character named dr hurt who exposes himself as this like secret arch nemesis of batman and claims a a very personal tie to batman and us as readers are like there's no way that can be we're already judging his his shell or who he says he is throughout this run Mm -hmm. so we may not ever know who Dr. Hurt actually was. We're given certain explanations and stories of who he claims to be. But given what we know about Batman continuity, it's like, how could that be? Like, how right. could this person be evil the whole time? How does that work? It's, it's sacrilege. You know, it's like blasphemous to think. So I think there's something to do with actors playing roles. These Black Glove is also a movie you know, Mangrove Pierce, there's something to do with these. And like we said, sh- snake shedding skin, like people pretending to be people that they're not. Right. And everyone has a mask. And isn't even people. Batman, you know, is an exploration of that same idea. Like what right. is bat, is bat, you know, is this character when he's Batman or is he Bruce or is it a disguise for Bruce or what is it? Yeah. Like it's, and I, that's a great point. Like this, you know, it's so much like trying to hold smoke, right? Like you right. see it, but you can't ever, quantify who this villain is or what they are and it's it's not believable right and dr hurt might not actually really be anybody like he might be none of those things that he says he is like at the end of the run we never get super closure on who dr hurt is we're just told that we're supposed to believe that he is this person and that was my definite like in my mind he's that person right but seeing all these like actors being people that they're not and batman trying on Bruce Wayne and people trying on different people's skins. I'm not sure that Dr. Hurt is actually who he says he is later in this run. Like, right. Who is that person? Who is the black glove all along? Yeah. I can't, I can't wait to get to that spot. It's it's, I also really like the shot here, pun intended, not, not intended, but um, wingman is yelling and they're trying to figure out what to do with him. And he ultimately gets a bullet through the head. And it was, mm-hmm. I don't know if that was Mayhew taking off in the plane um, as El Sombrero, or if it was, you know, the Black Glove is out sniping people from somewhere, but ultimately, you know, Mayhew kills Wing Wingman, and gosh, just 
the the final three pages of this like so much happens in terms of like moving people from one place to another and visualizing um, resolution for these things it is a really interesting several pages like you could look at it through you know multiple times and kind of pull different little bits of storytelling out of there not at all poor storytelling but done in such a visually innovative way that i think that you can kind of keep pulling out uh, the sequence of events from it I was pretty confused on who was who, you know, like when El Sombrero exposes that he's Mayhew, then I forgot who Dark Ranger is supposed to be under the mask. And then with like everyone switching these roles, I was kind of confused as to like, okay, who was the villain? And, you know, and it is done so innovatively and it's so beautiful. But given that there's a fight, then a chase in an airplane and an aerial battle, I'm like, was kind of lost where I was. In yeah. the storytelling. Uh, yeah, so we, and I, I think that's a really good point. It, you know, at times, I think aspects of this run, it, you know, the reach exceeds the grasp of the Black Glove. Sorry, Roman, were you about to say something? Oh, I was just going to say, well, I thought Mangrove Pierce was the guy that was in the night, the uh, Dark Ranger costume. Okay, so that's the name. Okay, so the reason that that was thrown in there is because that was the affair that the person was having. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You that. Thank you. And, and Batman saying something told me the truth might come out this weekend. I think. Yeah. That's I realized. Oh, so this is the Mangrove Pierce guy. Okay. Cool. I had. I, I knew there was want... some reference. So is is there like a grudge between him and Mayhew, or are they working together? Like, because there's something to do with Knight exposing them for the. Yeah. Well, I think Dark Ranger was because uh, Batman's dialogue here. Um, there was always a rumor that Mayhew had had his fifth wife killed because she was having an affair with Pierce. Um, and then Pierce was jailed, jailed unjustly for the crime. So Pierce as dark Rangers was here on the Island to try and get revenge on Mayhew and everybody else was just collateral damage and red herrings. Okay. So, okay. Multi- I, okay. I Roman <laughs> way to go. That's the kind of comic book night Mariner night Mariner would have <laughs> that type of deductive reasoning. You just gave him the old sockeye slap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, gosh, so Night you know, Mariner wins the fish of the night. <laughs> we we sort of raced through the end there, but is there any summative statements or ideas to sort of bring home about that run, my friends? It sure was cool. <laughs> it really is like to me, this three issue chunk was the the ramping up of this whole run. It was the most yeah. sort of um cohesive one of the stories has been. It made you feel like you could actually solve the mystery and 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 while it brought up a whole bunch of questions, it also made you feel like the truth was an attainable distance away. Whereas the beginning of it, you're sort of still getting used to like, what is, what is this thing going to be? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like, and like Justin pointed out there, this was the storyline of Morris and stuff where, where it was first shown that Batman is a really good detective. Yeah. 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 This is also like, it does that thing that good mysteries do. Like it never gives you hints to the answers, but it make it gets you to ask the right questions yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now we're like, now we realize that there's someone organization or entity or being person called the black glove. That's been orchestrating all these events secretly. And we see their presence or their face for the first time here. And so now we start having a few more chips on the table to understand that like, okay, chessboard you know black and white teams there's a game being played in the black glove is now orchestrating that so we're starting to understand like okay there's a villain in these seemingly 
very semi-connected things are actually all connected by this person going after Batman. Um, so we're starting to realize the shape of the landscape now. Like, okay, there's Batman is facing a villain we haven't seen before, and they call themselves the Black Glove. We don't know what that is, and we don't know, you know, its breadth. But yeah, and and to that point, like it it also. I I toss this word around sometimes, but like, I think that it's masterful pacing. Like it's very tantric. Like we're going to give you bits, you know, like Mm -hmm. how many we're 12, 13 issues into this thing right now. That's almost like a year's worth of comics. And, and we're still like, you know, getting pieces and feeling like we're on the path to something, but still not even knowing for sure what that is. So yeah, the introduction of the black glove here and the way that he just, just giving us bits, but we also are able to sort of understand the scope of things. I think is, is one of the most exciting things about this run is how that information is doled out. Yeah. And we're, you know, we're forced to like slowly breadcrumb our narrative together. Mm-hmm. And now we got like a, um, um, major clue as to like okay well at least we know there's a villain yeah but yeah, yeah, yeah yeah he hasn't even slipped the lsd in with the breadcrumbs yet like, <laughs> we're about to get pseudo histories and things that only take place in batman's mind or maybe they don't maybe this happened maybe it didn't like i ultimately know. had to have stop having lunch with grant morrison because he yeah. always finds a way to slip an lsd tab <laughs> into anything i'm doing and then my whole afternoon and evening are shot it's just his way to get you to hang out with him for yeah. longer. Yeah, um, in his castle think in about Scotland. Him. Yeah. So I'm excited. Like, I think this gives us, like, you know, we feel grounded at the end. We're like, okay, this is just kind of more of a basic story than we think. It gives us a rug that he can pull out, you know, because yeah. after the resurrection of Ra's al Ghul, I can't really remember its contents. Yeah. But after that is when we start to get into that, like, Morrison psychedelia where we you know we're in inside and outside batman's mind at the same time right you know it's it's about to get fubbed up roman did you have any closing thoughts on this run or just sort of feelings about about it afterwards this this was my favorite storyline of this early part Mm -hmm. of morrison's run um everything you guys said and just visually i'm looking at that two-page spread where um after mangrove uh gets killed and and may who takes off in the plane just visually, there's so many great homages in the storyline. And on this page, I mean, I don't think I realized, or maybe I didn't notice, that when Mayhew takes off, there's this great long uh, double-page double panel. And he takes off from the, the cave where the, where the water's in. And you realize that cave is the mouth. It's got one of those classic big skull faces on in the rock of the island like james and bond it, or something yeah straight out of bond or indiana jones or you know named the 1930s King kong yeah serial yeah. yeah and then batman of course in black and white takes off after it with the, with the rocket pack from dark ranger which again <laughs> all those old serials and everything it's so great yeah it is it is so iconic in that regard um well if we missed anything people should get a hold of us uh, you can shoot us an email at batmanincorrentine at gmail.com. So I really would love to hear people's thoughts if we missed stuff, if we misinterpreted stuff, if you've got your own vision for what's going on. Um, we would love to hear from everybody. Um, you could sure. also like record a voice memo and email it to us that way and we could play it on the show because uh, I really love, especially talking to the two of you guys, because I think we all um, zero in on different like 
Roman is so good, of course, at being able to say, well, here's a mangrove pierce. And, you know, like you have a, a way with the details. And I think Justin and I both can go into like broad, broad strokes of things. So I really, really appreciate talking to both of you. We are going to do something a little different next week for everybody. Fortunately, this episode closed on um, a week. So for next week's episodes, instead of doing uh, individual daily episodes, I think we're going to do one episode for the week where we all read Batman Resurrection of Raj Al Ghul, which is a five or six issue crossover miniseries. It is incredibly difficult to collect that I'll make sure and give to all (laughs) of us so we can read it. And we should hopefully have an extended discussion that week about um, all of those issues that comprise that. So I hope that everyone comes along for that adventure as well. Of course. Does that, I don't remember, does that happen before the next issue of Batman in this volume? It does. There's a weird little interim. Yeah. There's a thing that has only, was only really collected as a single paperback that hasn't been collected since then. And I got a copy of that, but um, there's also... Yeah, you can get it as issues, but we'll make sure everyone has a way to track it down for sure. Oh, cool. Was that Morrison too? Mm-hmm. It's a Morrison and Paul Dini. So, you oh, know. Dini. 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 Yeah, the Batman the Animated Series writer. So, all right. Well, for Batman in Quarantine, I'm Jeff signing out. I'm so glad to have gotten to talk to the two of you about these issues. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. And thank you, Roman. It's great to have another pair of detective eyes on this yeah. case. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for, the, thank you for my uh, revealing my identity. The birth, <laughs> the birth of the Nightmariner. Is that right? Yeah. The Nightmariner and Gulligan. Yeah. <laughs> and Gulligan. And the birth of the Sockeye Slap. Well, on that note, uh, this is um, Batman in Quarantine signing out for Roman and Justin and Jeff. Uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.